Hi there, and welcome to this week's episode of Let's Talk All Things LGBTQ+. I'm your host, Annie McKinnon, an authenticity coach, therapist, speaker, writer, and podcaster. And if you'd like to get to know me a little bit better, then visit my website, www.coachingcart.com. And if you'd like to get in touch with me or even feature on the show, then please email me at info at coachingcart.com. And those links will, of course, be in the description below. But today, I'd like to introduce you to Ricky Arundel, an award-winning virtual keynote speaker and storytelling coach. After founding the UK and Ireland Professional Speaking Association, Ricky's career as a sales and technology speaker ended when they changed gender in 2002. Faced with considerable discrimination, they completed a master's degree in gender research and established themselves as a social entrepreneur and leading gender diversity speaker, including delivering two TEDx talks. Working extensively with organisations who are keen to raise awareness of gender inequality and create more inclusive workplaces, Ricky has developed a reputation for engaging audiences with entertaining and inspiring stories. Uh, so let's get to it. So welcome, Ricky. Pleasure to be here, Annie. Ah, I'm, re I'm really pleased that you've you've showed up because we actually only uh, organised this today and I really appreciate that because I'd been let down by somebody else. So thank you so much for that. So just to... Um, introduce you I guess to our audience you're a storytelling expert and a gender inclusion speaker and I for one I'm really curious and interested to hear what that's about but before we jump into that uh, I'll ask you a question I ask all my guests and that is what would your younger self think of of you where you are right now uh. I, I think my younger self would be utterly and completely flabbergasted. They would they would look and say, "How the hell did you get there? That wasn't in the plan." <laughs> and you know, even 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 twenty years ago, this wasn't in the plan. Um, there was no plan to come out. That wasn't part of the intention. Uh, and you know, I'm a little bit older now, so I've been through all that time. Um, of you know when I when I grew up as a young kid, homosexuality was still illegal. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So my my parents were quite homophobic. If there was anybody gay around, everybody all the kids were warned, don't go near them because if they touch you, you'll become gay as well, and then you'll be. <laughs> I mean, that was the kind of mentality. Yeah, uh, but, which, but which I guess we say we sit here now and we think how ridiculous. But um, you know, I'm on the same page as you. You know, I was born in the 60s, so I went through that as well. So I get what you're on about. But you say you say that was surprised. And then you look at all the absolute garbage that was been going on this month in Scotland. And you yep. think, oh, no, they're still there. Still there. Well, that that's what I think. And it's it's, it's really sad. Um, but yeah, do you think your younger self would be proud of where you are now? They would be shocked, but I think yeah, they would they would be proud that I'd actually managed to, uh, yeah, to go through this. I think yeah, they probably would have thought, well, I thought you were going to make more money, but you know that's, 
uh, it never became important. I, I've never been able to prioritize making money yes. because it was always about making a difference. Um, yeah. and, and fo was, uh, following your passion, I'm guessing, yeah. and what it is you really love about <laughs> what you do. And so I'm really curious to find out what what it is you do do, you know, and amongst that storytelling and your inclusion speaking. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I didn't know. I mean, I wasn't planning to become a speaker. I don't think anybody does. We just sort of end up there. Um, but what happened was that um, I, I, I ended up in, when I was 19, I was at college. Um, and I'd had to go back for a third year because I'd failed all my science exams. So the physics A-level and the math, applied math just failed the lot. So all the plans to go to university and study nuclear engineering were completely um, gone. Uh, and somebody ah, so that, that was their that was their original thought that you would that was, get into nu yeah, well, nuclear engineering. Dad, yeah, my dad was an aircraft engineer, so it was all about becoming an engineer. And I, I lived in the West Country, which was quite engineering oriented. So I persuaded them to let me go back to college for another year, and decided then I was going to do uh, easier, easier route. I only had one year, so I had to do A levels in one year. So sociology, economics, <laughs> these were easy, much easier options, uh, and sounded much more interesting, much more fun. So sure than the physics and maths. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, I've got to yeah, well, agree with you there. Maths would be okay, but it was the physics and the applied. Oh God, chemistry. I didn't even manage to get. I got grade nine uh, in chemistry which is about the lowest you can possibly get you get nine for just putting your name on the paper yeah and i, I guess I, I guess getting that grade kind of tells you that's probably not the route that you really want right to take road. yeah um so I, and i'm sitting there with a friend of mine and we're talking about you know what what we ought to be doing this year we never had a college rag week yeah yeah we've got to do a college rag week and i was really getting into let's get a change he said why don't you join the drama group and i said mm, well i don't know uh, and I was just a, a young, you know, a 19-year-old lad then, and uh, a couple of girls walked past and uh, comments were made, and he said, well, you should join the drama group. They're in the drama group. I said, all right. <laughs> um, and I was encouraged to go uh, for, uh, to audition, and they were they were doing the Julius Caesar. They always did the GCO level play, and there was one big part left. My friend had already got Cassius. Somebody got Brutus. The only big part left was Anthony. So I learned most of it and went to that audition, absolutely blew everybody away. Um, not the director, apparently, because having got the part, he came up and he said, well, okay, you've got the part, but you're not actually really good enough. Uh, so <laughs> I want you to do some of the drama course. And I checked it out, and it turned out that all but one of the lectures on the drama course fitted in with all of my free periods. So all of a sudden... Totally unplanned, suddenly I was doing drama. Um, and I absolutely loved it. Loved performance. Finished that year, I'd passed my grade eight in drama, which is like the sort of an A-level in drama. Off I went to Butlins as a red coat. And and so yeah, I'd suddenly got into the whole performance thing. And um, like everything, I, I was warned, you know, if you're gonna go into acting, get a job first, because there are more out-of-work actors than there are. To work clerks, and I ended up in the insurance industry. No idea how that happened, but it just did. Um, and I eventually found my way into marketing and training, and so the speaking stuff started. And suddenly, I found a way to connect that drama training 
with something I could do in work. Of course, uh, because the, the drama is about storytelling, yeah, isn't it? Storytelling and purpose. Even recently, I was thinking, why, why did what, storytelling, as, as people have fed back to me, oh, I love your stories, I love the way you tell stories. I thought, where did that come from? And then I thought back, my father had been a consummate storyteller. He always was telling stories. We lived in a pub, and he was in the pub, you know, a few too many sherries, and out would come the stories in India, the stories in the war, uh, how he personally was responsible for sinking the Bismarck, and there's all these amazing stories, which had a little bit of, you know, license played with. But I learned storytelling from a master storyteller who just loved to tell stories, and it just became a part of my life. Part of who you are, part of who you are, yeah. And that's it. And and I slowly learned that as a speaker, if you can't tell stories, you will never, ever get paid as a good speaker. It just you know, just doesn't work. Um, you find a point you want to make, you find a story that works with it, and then you, you use the story. And sometimes I've got one story I'll use for three or four different points, but it's the... Yeah, it's the yeah. same story, but you know, looked at from a slightly different angle. Yeah, because it's the it's that thing, isn't it, about grabbing the audience attention? Yeah. And if you're not able to do that, you know, within the first set, how many seconds, then they're lost. It, it's even that it's just holding them. You see, the the thing I learned about speaking is that if you leave that meeting and you can't remember what I told you. And I know now that, you know, I, I talk to people who've been to a meeting and they come out, they can't even remember the speak, the name of the speaker and the last presentation they were at. And you've, you've listened to 10, 12 speakers in a weekend. And I said, what did you learn? Um, oh, I'll have to look at my notes. If you have to look at your notes, you haven't learned anything. I've got piles and piles of notebooks from, uh, from workshops. But if I, if I have to look at them, I've not learned it. But what I have learned is that you are 22 times, and it's, they've actually done the research on this, 22 times more likely to remember a point if it's told with a story than if it's not. Yeah, so put, putting it together in, in story form really engages the audience and brings them in with you so that they're, you know, if they've, they've got a picture in, in their yeah. head as you're telling that story, then you'll engage and and keep them interested to the yeah. end. And like you're saying, they will, they're more likely to remember it. Exactly. Now, I mean, this month, February is LGBT History Month in, uh, in the UK. Um, I love this because it's all about the stories. And they're stories which were squashed, stories which were suppressed, stories that nobody was allowed to talk about. And slowly they start to emerge and people's, you know, transness and gayness and lesbianness all starts to emerge. And then you suddenly find, you know, some really rich, amazing stories about very, you know, about LGBT people who've actually made a difference in the world, but whose sexuality or gender was really pushed into the background. So one of the reasons I love LGBT history, this is a great opportunity to bring those stories back to life and tell people. Mm. Um, what those stories are about. I'm really interested to hear if you're able to share, uh, you know, one of those stories about LGBT history, because we, you know, the listeners that listen into the show, um, a lot of them are a lot younger than we are. <laughs> uh, and I think they'd be really interested to hear, hear that. I'll tell you one story, uh, and it's just it's in my mind because I was talking to somebody else about it re recently 
Um, a name that probably doesn't immediately come to mind when you think about LGBT history is the actress Mae West. She ultimately became the richest woman in America, but she was also a playwright. Her parents were vaudeville performers. So she grew up on the vaudeville stage. She did her first performance on the boards at the age of five. Now, vaudeville, people don't realize, was packed full of drag queens and female impersonators and drag kings. It was all about gender being played with. And that was family entertainment. That was where you took your kids. To... And we've always had this weird thing, haven't we? We're okay about people, you know, gender nonconformity if it's on stage, but leave it on the stage. Don't bring if you bring it off the stage, then it's very weird. Keep it on the stage and we can we can we can have it. Yeah. Everybody yeah. loved David Bowie as long as he didn't wear those silly clothes <laughs> when he was out. Um Mae West wrote a couple of plays. They were rapidly shut down. Oh, one of I them actually, I didn't know this. Yeah, one was called Sex. Um, one was called The Drag, quite short piece. And then she expanded that into one called The Pleasure Man. Uh, the Pleasure Man was a play looking backstage at the Vaudeville Theatre and telling the real story about the relationships and the people and the gay and the tra and and yeah the nellies they used to call them and the drag queens and and the relationships that were going on mostly you know gay relationships well everybody went nuts uh they loved the vaudeville but the idea that there might be any possible truth or possible you know homosexuality involvement so she she went to prison for 8 days as a result of sex uh, the entire cast uh, on the drag was arrested and put in prison and she bailed the whole lot of them out and, and supported and, and funded them all the way through. <clears throat> and she was an absolute supporter of the LGBT community. And she did things on stage and did things with her plays that would even be pushing the boundaries today. She was that far ahead of her time. And then she got called by Hollywood and off she went to do. And even then, she still played with gender. She, I mean, when you think about the way she dressed, she was probably one of the only women who could really carry off drag <laughs> in the way that she did it. Exactly. And yeah, I just find her just an amazing woman um, and one of the real heroes of the LGBT history because she did push the boundaries of trying to get uh, people to understand and accept that, you know, there's nothing wrong with the gay community. There's nothing wrong with the LGBT community. We're just different. It's just a, diff a different flamboyant world. So there's one hero that I suspect even people from the LGBT community don't know much about. But uh, Well, I, I was just about to say uh, at the beginning there, you said, you know, the, the audience might not put me waste first in the list, when talking about LGBTQ history, she would have been the last person I would have put in the list. <laughs> I didn't know any of that. And that is really, really interesting to think that way back then that she was a trailblazer for the LGBTQ community. Absolutely. Yeah. Any any other surprises? <laughs> um no, I think I mean I try to research stories and, and look into you know to the history. I mean, one of the things that's going on at the moment, as you probably know, is this whole issue about the, the uh, 
gender recognition review that was going on in Scotland that the British government have now uh, stopped and blocked. And it's all because, you know, because they represent a danger to women and children. Um, and what they don't understand is that that's not possible. It's not possible. OK, I'm not saying there aren't bad people who might masquerade as trans. There, there probably are. There are bad lesbians. There are bad gay people. Yeah. There are bad straight people. You know, there are some very bad ice cream vendors. Um, yeah, or, cream. or teachers or people <laughs> that go into a profession because it then gives them the opportunity <laughs> to be with vulnerable people. Oh, just look at Jimmy Savile. OK, I was just about to say that. Yeah. yeah. So we've got all these possibilities, but you don't then bring in a blanket rule that stops everybody. And most trans people, most trans people I know just want to transition and quietly get on with their lives. I, I know trans men who nobody knew were trans until the day they died. They just transitioned, they lived their lives as men, they got on with it, they were you know, appeared to be married. They probably weren't because they actually didn't have a birth certificate. And they just got on with it. I know trans women whose husbands didn't know that they were trans. Really? Uh, they had the surgery. They did everything. It was all done when they were quite young, you know, 18, 20. And they they looked and sounded females. Who? Why would anybody test it? They have had a problem so they couldn't have children. That's happens to a lot of women. But this is this is it. That that most people just want to get on. But there are a few people like me who want to get out there and shout and tell the world uh, about what's going on. So uh, I've, I've lost where we were, where we started. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's what I love about this show. We just go with the flow, and yeah. and whatever comes up next comes up next. So I mean, that that's the whole thing. Is that we we this Scottish thing has really brought out some very very horrible negative people. And yes, yesterday, uh, yes, Monday night, yesterday, uh, this woman, Posey Parker, who's one of the, the chief gender critical, chief turf, if you want to call her, uh, had a big rally in Scotland. And she's arguing for the complete repeal of the Gender Recognition Act to make it illegal for anyone to who was born male. And she's not really interested in female to male, it's, it, male to female. It's all female. I'm sorry, male, it's all male to female, mm. trans women. Um, she doesn't want to call them trans women. She wants to still call them men. She wants to use male pronouns. She wants them to be identified as male because they are a threat. When Alan Turing was found to be gay in 1952, he was arrested. And he was given a choice between two years in prison or mm. chemical castration. Just the thought of that. He chose chemical castration. Now, chemical castration meant that he would be injected with female hormone and that that would basically make him impotent. Okay, That's got the you. same hormone that most trans women are given <clears throat> to, to basically soften the skin, to change things. And it has the same effect on trans women. Trans women within two years are impotent. There is no way that any trans woman could rape somebody because they're body will no longer function in that way the sex drive will be gone hmm. and, and sometimes i think that information's lost yeah in the big debates uh because but you know whether it's through fear or what whatever it's through 
people come out and shout, you know, we can't do this, we can't do that, we're not allowing this, we're not allowing that, without really digging into the real facts of what the reality of that will actually look like. Absolutely. And, and this is it, you know, you know, trans women generally just want to get on with their lives, do the thing and just live their lives comfortably uh, with whatever partner they've got in whatever way they want. Now, biggest challenge for me is I, I lived obviously until I was 50 as a man, um, mm -hmm. keeping this a secret, terrified that someone would yeah. find out because that, that was always the great fear. If, if somebody found out prior to 1999, um, I mean, there was even a case in Cornwall where somebody told one of the clients of Cornwall Council, who he worked for, that he was transgender. Um, they reported that back to his boss and he was sacked. Yeah. Just for just for telling somebody. Um, it's so, it's quite know, common commonplace, wasn't it? Oh, and probably you know still is in this. All this LGBT thing. people were subject yeah. to that. You yeah. could be fired just for being gay, just for being trans, just for being you know, not you know, fitting in. Yeah. Uh, and it was so bad that, and it still is to some extent. If you, if you don't conform to society's idea of what we expect of a particular gender, then immediately you're odd, you're queer, you're weird, um, and that means that your ability to get promoted in a job, your ability to even get a job in the first place, um, is down. And it's the thing. Even now, I can't be sacked for being trans, but because I book myself out when i changed gender within six months i had no work at all yeah nobody would book me because i'm trans because if if it went wrong they would get the blame for bookings yeah you know, for taking a risk wow. um and it's we've still got that kind of discrimination against us all the time and i, I the problem i'm seeing at the moment is that all of this toxic debate and we saw it on question time on uh, thursday last week um and i listen i've listened to that program three or four times now um and ella whelan who was the journalist and a very very outspoken gender critical supporter constantly lied she'd say one thing and they say i didn't say that and i'll listen back i said yeah you did absolutely clear what you said yeah you said um yeah Trans people shouldn't exist. If she was taking that whole argument, it shouldn't be possible. Yeah, you know, if you're born a man, that's it. End of story. You know, yeah, you know, whatever you were born with, if it's a penis, that's it. You're a man for the rest of your life. You can never change it. Total tunnel vision, isn't it? Yeah, well, we, without compassion for you know other people and how they feel and want to live their life. We've had that battle. Yeah, we've passed all the laws. It's gone through everything. Mm -hmm. We've debated it. We've sorted it out. And unfortunately, what's happened, because we've got a very right-leaning government at the moment, they've got the ear of Liv Truss, they've got the ear of Timmy Badenoch, of Suella Braverman. And I saw um, Rishi Sunak being interviewed by uh, Piers Morgan, neither of them particularly uh, LGBT-friendly. Uh, and Sunak was, was coming out with those same anti-trans tropes that we keep hearing. It's got to be about biology. It's got it was biology that was used for hundreds of years to prevent women from ever progressing, from ever being considered suit. We want to go back to essentialism? Really? <laughs> Just 
so and, and the like... problem is that no matter what we do, if we do go back to yeah, you know, it's all about sex, we will still end up with gender because people will say, oh yeah, well we've got to differentiate one from the other. So immediately we start getting well, men wear these and women wear that, and we'll we'll still have the same kind of divisions will start to come up. And yeah, uh, and and I've had a lot of uh, conversations with my guests around around gender. Um, but I guess for, you know, someone listening to this show, how would you put it quite, quite plainly in, in how to describe what is actually happening, what, what laws have been, uh, taken forward to, to make it clear about transgender people? Most countries now. Mm. are moving towards a process of self-identification. Everybody thinks that this means you can wake up in the morning and think, oh, I think I'll be a woman today. Well, no, no, you, you actually have to get a legal statutory declaration, which has to be sworn before a commissioner of oaths or a judge to say that you're actually going to change your gender. Sorry. That's okay. We're going to <clears throat> um, swore before a commissioner of oaths that says, I'm changing my gender and this is a permanent condition. At the moment, you need to go and see a psychiatrist who actually diagnoses you. It's got to be a gender specialist mm -hmm. diagnoses you with gender dysphoria. Because the NHS is in such a mess, it will take about six to eight years to get that diagnosis. And that's and that in the UK. A huge problem in the UK. Yeah. Um, be, and for kids, it's even it, it's got even worse because they just the gender clinics just were not ready for the fact that once the laws changed, people suddenly said, "Okay, I can come out." No, it's it's okay to come out. And so, increasingly, they've come out. Um, and so we've just got more and more people coming out. It's just completely swamped. Yeah. Uh, everything. Uh, We've not handled it at all well. We've not had a proper debate sitting there and thinking, okay, fine, what do we need to do to manage the fact that more people are coming out? Or instead, what we've got is this negative reaction that says, no, let's just get rid of them all. Yeah, and and you were saying just a, a minute or so ago about, you know, the people, they think people will be out there saying, oh, today I want to be a man, or tomorrow I want to be a woman. Uh but there's just so much more to it, isn't there? It's, it's not a case of waking up in the morning. That, that's been a journey for someone. Most men couldn't handle that. Mm. Um, it, w when I changed gender, it took, me, it took me six months to actually handle the process. Um, I had to go to um, makeup classes. I had to go do uh, literally uh, image um, classes. I had to learn how... Things that women take for granted because friends tell you, oh, that makeup, that makeup doesn't work. That's the wrong color for you. Put this, try that. Uh, your mother, your sisters and your aunt. Everybody's helping you along that process as you grow up. Even if you don't like it um, or want it, it's still coming in and you're still learning it. You're still hearing it. You're seeing it in magazines. I didn't read those magazines because I wasn't, you know, if I picked those, I was going to get, oh, it must be gay reading a girl, girl's magazine. I did, my sisters, but, you know, I had to do it quietly. Um, so all of that education um, that most girls get as they're growing up um, and experimenting and playing with, gen, you know, with 
image as they you know become you know 13 14 16 and going out i didn't get all of that and most and most trans women don't so suddenly we have to learn it um and that's a really really hard thing to learn because now the body is just not shaped for it we've still you know we've got uh, you know five o'clock shadows and things to try and cover up so there's a whole load of problems so i it, it, it took me six months just to get to the point where i was comfortable that i could walk down the street and not get laughed and jeered at just for mm. doing that yeah can you can you talk us through i mean you're talking about uh the makeup and things like that but can you talk us through some of the other challenges that in that transition process that you experienced yeah, I, I mean, I think they're just simple things like going to the toilet. Um, I, I use obviously use female toilets because I'm not safe in men's toilets. Um, I've had hormones, so you know my body is no longer a male body by any you know, imagination. It's also not female, and this is where I suddenly found. And this was really about three or four years ago. I started to look at this and think, you know, I made the decision and. I don't mean to talk about this, normally talk about this, but I, will. I made the decision not to have lower surgery. Um, by the time where I got, because I was 10 years in the NHS queue trying to get to and going through all the constant process and everything else. And I said, a particular surgeon, I do not under any circumstances want to be sent to him. I had friends who'd had real problems post-surgery um, mm -hmm. and one who died as a result of surgery. I said, no way. And next thing I know, they said, well, we're going to send you to him. I said, no, I said, no, I don't want surgery. That's the only option. If you go down to London, it's going to cost a lot more. We haven't got the budget for it. Uh, and I mean, these gender psychiatrists in the NHS charge the NHS £600 an hour for doing the assessments. An hour for, for doing an assessment Just that assess lasts how long? And insist on doing two, two appointments. Wow, and, and and this was this was fifteen years ago. God only knows what they charge now. They they really do uh, charge a lot of money, which is why not very many people get through the process. Lots and lots of queues, and the moment it's backed up, it's let's say it's a mm. six year waiting list just to get into the gender clinic now, and it's it, it's not surprising that trans people are having a real problem because they just can't get the support. Um, and the danger is, if you look at what's happened in other countries, one way that people can do this privately, become a sex worker, because then they can earn loads of money and then they get the money to. And that, so, so these are the sorts of things that we start seeing is trans mm. people pushed into the margins of society as sex workers and um, such. Uh, in Chicago, 80% of trans women in Chicago have, are HIV positive. Because... They end up as sex workers. And um, and when I did my master's degree, I did a master's degree in order to you know, become an expert in this. And some of the people I interviewed had become sex workers in order to. Um, we've seen Nadia Armada on Big Brother, again, someone who became a sex worker in order to pay for the, for, uh, for the gender surgery. And it's that's the kind of path that we push people down um so for, not... for someone to say or people to say you know that trans people just wake up one morning and decide well i want to be a woman or a man 
have actually no idea of the process and what 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 struggle and challenges are are put in the way to prevent mm. someone from being who they feel they naturally are, which is ludicrous. But I've now got the second problem. I've decided about three or four years ago that really I'm non-binary. Okay. I'm really not male or female. Mm-hmm. And that is even bigger problem. And, and I knew it was going to be a problem because when I did transition, my youngest daughter, I've got um, kids, uh, my youngest daughter was about 14. And I'd been to see her one day and I was dressed very androgynously. I wasn't actually wearing makeup, but I, I'd been taking hormones for you know, a, about a year by that time. So my skin was changing and yeah, mm. and I, yeah, my hair was dyed, and yeah, I, I, I didn't look male, I didn't look female, and I got a phone call afterwards saying, "Look, Dad, if you, if you're gonna come, come as a man or come as a woman, I can deal with anything like that. But if you come somewhere in between, and somebody sees me with you, I really have a problem with that." How did that, that feel? To hear that from bullied. your daughter, she would get bullied. She would get as much of a problem. And I think this is what people don't realize. When I came out as trans, I outed all my family. Because they now have to explain, oh, your dad's a tranny, or your your ex-husband's a tranny. What, what, how, why, how come you didn't know? Why didn't you know about this? Did you know about that? Oh, did you? Uh, so they suddenly come under a huge amount of pressure um, mm. for no fault of their own, because I've just, and so biggest complaint I had from people was saying, how could you do this to your family? It wasn't about me doing it to your family. It was me at the age of 50 saying enough is enough. I, I've, you know, the laws have changed. I can't guess. I, I'm, I'm going to deal with this. Yeah. And, um, and, and love in a way that makes sense to you. Yeah. But the approach that you or all your family get as a result of that is still happening. In it, today's today world, I read. I was just reading something from um, uh, Travis um, Albacans. Is it? I, I, I get his surname wrong, but uh, Travis, um, and he's written a really good book. Um, and I, I'm just reading, and he was, you know, he he did a play because somebody threw a, a burger at him uh, one day, which just while well, he was, he just it actually inspired him to write an entire play, but. These are the kind of stupid hate things that happen every day. Uh, I had a you know whole month of kids throwing stones at my house, breaking windows and throwing mud at the house and shouting out abuse. Uh, and I don't think people realise how difficult it is. Most trans people just hide, try yeah. and avoid it. Otherwise, they know they're going to get the eggs thrown. And Still, um, yeah. So, so what would have... What would have made your, or what what things could have made your journey a lot easier? You know, you're talking about kids throwing stones at your window and we've got this sense in the community that there's just no understanding whatsoever of the things that you've spoke about on this in this episode. Yeah. What What would you like to see out there to make that transition a lot easier and safe yeah it's not just about me because if you think about the way in which women are treated that's also pretty appalling mm. uh, really appalling 
Um, you know, women are subjected to violence, 25%, you know, sexually abused. 50% of trans people are violence and sexually abused. I mean, it's uh, this is the thing people aren't getting. You know, we're just as, you know, or worse a position. So we've got to deal with that. And you don't deal with that by saying, oh, let's just stop trans people coming into female toilets. It isn't trans women who cause the problem. It's predatory men. And we allow bullying to take place at schools. And we don't stop it. We don't educate kids properly because everybody's terrified. Oh, can't talk about LGBT issues. Can't talk about. If yeah, it's, 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 it's boys... kind of going back to and reminding me of Section Twenty Eight when it came out in Scotland, and it sounds like the same thing is happening again in two thousand and twenty-three. They are, but it, see that Section Twenty Eight was particularly about LGBT. Yeah, but we we've. It's not just about we've got to stop the violent behavior against other people. Yeah. Um, and at the moment, we don't do that. We allow that we almost I mean, look at all the stuff that's being well, um, it's been this weird stuff about was his name, Andrew Tate, um, mm. who Greta Thunberg managed to publicly put down so brilliantly. Obliterate. But yeah, <laughs> we we almost seem to give these people sort of airspace. We give them, you know, we we credit them with something that shouldn't be allowed. Yeah. Um, you and, know, when, and when well, with Trump... that misinformation that's coming out, oh. because it's not accurate. No, it's not. But um, people believe people believe what what some people will tell them, but it's not accurate. No, it's not. And you know, I think personally, it's getting it's getting that part that that's a huge hurdle. I think and and getting people to really understand the facts yeah we 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 need a society that allows people to be their best selves we know for a fact i mean that you look at organizations that are open that actually allow people to be and, and i think the best example right now in this country is probably virgin um i love their advertising campaign still still running now and that was about, you know, this is how we treat our staff. And I watched that advert, you know, um, with a whole mix of LGBT you know, women. And yeah, it was looking at all sorts of diversity and saying we accept people for who they are. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to fly anywhere, I know who I want to fly with. Yeah. It just so made me feel that I, I would feel safe mm. flying with them. And I think if every organization, yeah, public sector, private sector, volunteer sector, that every one of them took that approach that said, we're going to create a culture where everybody feels safe. And that, you know, bullying, harassment, um, you know, banter, as they mm. all like to call it, is just simply not allowed. Um, and there are organisations out there who really buy into that. Yeah. But, of course, there are other organisations who appear to want to do something about it just to have that tick box that we're lgbtq plus friendly but when it, it is all about the culture you're right it's all it's all about the culture of an organization and what message what values they're holding and putting out there isn't it yeah we're, we're, our schools are every, everywhere we've got to have that really positive attitude and it's no good to start saying oh well, let's just stop these one small group from coming in that it won't help at all 
because we're right. actually one of the vulnerable minorities. We've got to stop. You know, the the problem is being caused by people who are abusive, and it's not just men. There are there are there are women who are pretty abusive as well. I've been on the receiving end of some of that on a pride march, and yeah, you know, it's, it's you know. Like it's people you think what they're Christians. What why are they what that 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 wasn't what Jesus was teaching. I read the Bible as well. Okay, I'm not a I'm not a particularly a, you know, don't put myself out as a Christian, but yeah, I read those stories and I was comfortable with that. Um It's how it's how people will interpret anything, uh, isn't it, really? Because have two people standing side by side and given the the same information they'll interpret it most likely differently yeah absolutely you know and and lgbtq plus people today in today's society are are frightened they are you know they're 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 frightened to not just be who they are but do what they want to do because of that that fear of the hate crime that we know exists and as much as people will try and, you know, shovel it under the, the rug, oh, that was years ago, that doesn't happen now. It does. It still That's... happens today. And Absolutely. it, you know, it, it really needs to stop. But I guess it's another conversation about how how would be how we'd be able to even start eliminating that. I mean, if if organizations, I mean one of the things that I do is I yeah, I people hire me they hire me to go in and do a lunch and learn session or a, a workshop and often it's uh, i'm often i'm working with companies that are spread all over the the world yeah. um and they bring people together yeah it's a virtual session i do a lot most of my work i now do virtually um yeah, and I'm i think, I think that. that's the same for us all isn't it since yeah. covid I, well I'm, I, I'm happy to do that me at my age I, i'm yeah i've the the fun has gone out of racing around the world in order to get to a meeting for two hours, <laughs> spend three days and then come back. Um, yeah, yeah I, I'll I don't get mind to that. But uh, I have to I have to say that uh, it, it's not as exotic as it sounds. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. I used to travel a lot for work and people used to say, oh, that must be really glamorous. But then you look at the waiting times for flights in, in hotels, the Airbnbs, and on your own, it's not glamorous whatsoever. So I agree with you there. A lot of time there. spent on your own, isn't it? A yeah. lot of time sitting in airport lounges, sitting in hotel rooms at night because, you know, the meeting doesn't start till tomorrow and nobody arranged to see you. Oh, God. Yeah, um, yeah it's, I it's do all en- that stuff. <laughs> I do enjoy getting in front of an audience. It's great fun, but... Yeah, it, it's yeah, I can achieve a lot more uh, online, and I think we've all learned it doesn't cost a huge amount to have a simple setup. That means that I can now speak, and the great thing is I can speak to people in multiple countries all at the same time. We can have interaction with people. Yeah, that, uh, that's the absolute I like, beauty. I like being a guest on podcasts because again, it's just yeah, reaching out and just helping to get that message out to various different audiences that I wouldn't normally be able to reach and, yeah uh, and that that that's that's the beauty that's the beauty of it but there there's there's a lot we've talked about and a and a lot we could really delve into for hours and hours <laughs> but that's not possible but uh so if you were to leave a message for our listeners today Ricky what would that be yeah I I think we've 
we've all got to within our workplace help to make um inclusion a bigger part of what's going on we have to we, we are becoming more multicultural more you know mixed societies we've got you know it's such a different place in the workplace to what it was 20 uh you know, even 10 years ago but it's just it's changing so much and that has to be an environment where if i'm going to work there i want to feel safe i want to feel when i go there that this is a nice place because if i'm going to spend you know eight hours a day you know five days 40 hours if I'm going to spend all that time there, bigger part of my time in a workplace, working hard, I want to feel that it's a great place to be. And I think everybody has to contribute. It's not just about, oh, well, the company's got to. No, everybody has to make that work. Um, we have to all become buddies and allies to, you know, if you don't understand Muslim people very well, make friends with somebody who is find out a little bit more about them if you don't understand deaf people then make sure that you get to know them find out how you can communicate with them with them better it's just about saying look, there are different people we've all got some kind of challenges how can i help people to yeah. feel included and to feel that this is this is home this is the best place to be that's a safe place and i really love how you've you, you know, you've said that and I'm sure our listeners will be in total agreement with you. And if they if they want to get in touch with you, Ricky, how can they do that? OK, it turns out when I changed my name to Ricky Arundel, I didn't know at the time that I was going to change to a completely unique name. OK, so Ricky is spelled R-I-K-K-I and it's A-R-U-N-D-E-L, but there is no other Ricky Arundel on social media anywhere in the world that i've come across how amazing is that so uh, so if you search for ricky Arundel, you'll get pages and pages of just me but okay. the best place is i my website's down at the moment because somebody hacked it and i can't get it back i'm working on it but i actually discovered that linkedin is a much better place it's where most of the people i work with are i'm on facebook um as ricky arundel but also linktree um uh, which is L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E, -E, Linktree. Uh, that's Ricky Arundel. In all these cases, my username is always Ricky Arundel. So I, uh, I'll make sure you've got that uh, yeah. in your show notes for this. Um, Ricky Arundel, the, the Linktree account has got lots of perf you know, me performing, me doing. I have a gold medal in performing verse and prose. So it's... <laughs> Fantastic. Lambda gold. I, I love verse and prose. I love being able to perform uh, still, even now to this day. And uh, Definitely need but, to need to check that out. But I will... at the bottom, there's about four at the moment, but I shall add some more in as a Jabberwocky yeah. and the Morris and the Carpenter and Roland yeah, and, Travels. So. And I'll put, I'll put all the contact details uh, in the description of the podcast as well. But I have to say, Ricky, you've been an absolutely amazing guest. And again, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And again, it's such short notice. I really appreciate that. My pleasure. And I'd also love to thank the listeners and tune in next Monday for the next episode of Let's Talk All Things LGBTQ+. Thank you.